John, everybody is talking about the metaverse, and you just gave a very insightful talk, which we're going to be posting on the podcast as well. Um, but I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit specifically, because a lot of people are talking about the relationship with the metaverse and Web3, and we didn't uh, cover that. In the um, well, I mean, you could argue there's a bit of a Venn diagram. Um, yes. The metaverse is about... Um, new ways to prevent, present information. Information can be a movie, information can be a game, or it can be training materials, whatever, but it's, it's just a, it's instead of being presented as flat text or video, what I'm describing as a metaverse is being alive, because it's real time, it's 3D, interactive, social, and persistent. Um, now there's another sphere of, of sort of a tech conversation going on in Web3, which is really about decentralized finance. It's about, if you will, you know, power to the people type of a thing using a you know, using blockchain instead of central ledgers from you know Bank of America or MasterCard or American Express or whomever would be behind the transaction. Um, and so it's possible to be metaverse and have nothing to do with Web3. It's probably possible to you know Web3 and have nothing to do with the theory of the metaverse, but there's also an overlap. And so you know a lot of folks theorize about things like using blockchain technology to have an, an NFT, say in a video game, that you could take to another video game and have that be interoperable. So that's there's a lot of things where the the the, the overlap in this Venn diagram, where it's both metaverse and Web3. Um, you see a lot of products out there that are trying to do that, like Sandbox and Axie Infinity and they're trying to get onto that, but it's really early stages. Um, you know, personally, I think you know the, the Web three has a lot more controversy. My sense is, when people think about my definition of the metaverse, they're largely going to say, "Yeah, that's kind of right, maybe all right, maybe they'll pick some points with it." With, with Web three, there's a lot more controversy around the fact that you know there's been you know all sorts of charlatans taking advantage of people, stealing you know yeah. accounts and, and video games and. You know, whether there's really a there there beyond, you know, for using a cryptocurrency to pay for things versus, you know, just trading and, um, and, and speculating on value. That, too, will mature into something that it's meant to be. But, again, they're separate, but there's an overlap. Um, let's talk a little bit about the relationship of VR and the metaverse. Because if it weren't for Oculus's, uh, Facebook's acquisition of Oculus and it's subsequent name change last October, would we be gripped by Metaverse Mania? And their Metaverse Mania, of course, is VR-centric. So, a couple of things. Um, now, first off, I think that, um, as I said in my talk, um, the Metaverse, this sort of sense of presence, sense of real-time, you know, being involved in the world, the next generation of the Internet, is going to happen no matter you know, the success of ARVR. Now, I, I predict that ARVR will be very successful. I don't expect in this decade it gets the smartphone penetration, but it gets into the hundreds of millions. And so my sense is most people that have, everyone that's got an XR device in this decade is also going to have a smartphone, might also have a tablet or a Mac or a PC. So I think they're going to expect to access those metaverse experiences from a variety of devices, not just XR devices. So um, I think, you know, at least with Unity's S1, for example, you know, we talked about whether we would use the word metaverse. We didn't use it once in our S1. There's a reason for that. I think a better description is real-time 3D that is often social, interactive, and persistent because that's precise. Um, where metaverse is this, this broad term that means so many things to so many different people. 
you know, you, you mentioned, you know, Meta, you know, Mark and then Bill Gates, as I quoted today, they talk a lot about avatars in the metaverse, but I don't think avatars are essential. They're a piece of something. But imagine you're, you know. Well, your identity could remain the same, whatever costume or avatar you have. But then what is your avatar? What is your identity? Tell me what your identity is. Mm -hmm. Your identity when you go check into the Marriott is your wallet. Mm -hmm. Your identity when you go play the next metaverse version of World of Warcraft is what? It's really your power and what you've gained over experience that doesn't have a, a place when you're checking into the metaverse. They don't really care that I was once a level 70 World of Warcraft player. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they have extra mm -hmm. points for that, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, while well, I'm, you know, and, and again, let's just take the hotel example. You want to check into a hotel or make a reservation, but you also want to see the view from the window. Now, they may spawn a real-time 3D environment so I can stand in a room and check out the view and maybe get more money for that. But in the process of making the reservation when it wants my credit card information and I want to sure, be sure that, they've, that they're not, you know, it's the right price, etc. Standing there with an avatar, talking to the avatar of somebody behind the counter, it slow things down. It, it actually make it worse. And so... The issue is not so much whether AR or VR are interesting or relevant, they are. It's just they're, they're not always in need of an avatar to make it better or different. Game versus versus metaverses, because our social spaces, right? So you talked a little bit about VR chat versus, say, World of Warcraft. In VR chat, you have no real object other than socializing, whereas in World of Warcraft, you're involved with a complex simulation with other people. Is it possible that those game verses will ultimately subsume these social spaces? Um, look, I think um, a, a super good question and a hard one to answer. You know, what I talked about today was 100% um, digital worlds like games, um, places where it's halfway real world, halfway digital, like digital twins, and then overlays. Imagine I'm wearing a pair of glasses and I can you know, I'm in an Airbnb and somebody has a sign that says, this is where the corkscrew is or how to turn the TV on. So augmented. Now, um, I find one of the things I find really interesting is, you know, games top out in terms of monthly users, tens of millions for an individual game. Not billions, not even hundreds of millions. Social experiences, social networks, TikTok, and Instagram, and, 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 and Facebook reach into the billions. And so I think one of the really interesting and sort of, you know, I would call, you know, highly important questions to ask is my sense is that you're going to see social networks that achieve metaverse reality, being real-time, 3D, interactive social, heavy emphasis on the social. You're also going to see games that attempt to take on the benefits of a social network. So my sense is there's something combustible and powerful on the intersection of gaming and social networks. We haven't seen that application. But it wasn't that long ago that we thought social networks were done with Facebook and Instagram. And then we got Snap, and they kind of did a lot better than most people expected. Then we got TikTok, and they did better. And, and really what they were doing is pushing out the corners of the experience for different types of people looking for different types of things. And certainly TikTok, a lot more information in terms of pixels coming to you and more, more engaging. Mm -hmm. So metaverses, that sort of real-time 3D interactive social thing, someone will do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know who, if it's going to be a new division of Facebook or, you know, the next, you know, Evan will graduate and start his own social <laughs> network, but or, or she will start her own social yeah. network. That'll happen. Uh, pivoting slightly to the acquisition of Weta, 
at Unity's plans for the entertainment business. Right? We see the games right. business and techniques for making games coming together with the entertainment business. And is the Weta acquisition going to push you in that direction of bringing more uh, game-type experiences to movies and vice versa? Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, first off, when, whether somebody's using a game engine built in-house, like they would for, say, a Call of Duty, or they're using Unity, which is most games, or a much smaller number of games built in Unreal, the game engine itself is something that's interacted upon typically by engineers and technologists. The artists live separate from that. Mm -hmm. They might be working in Maya or Studio Max or Blender. Making They're creating assets. things. And then they kind of tap their developer on the shoulder and say, ingest this. Mm -hmm. And there are more powerful tools out there. And the most amazing collection of digital tools for creating art content is, was Weta. We acquired that because we want to bring those tools to all those artists. So we want to enable artists to be more powerful. The second thing is we want to make those tools easier to use and more seamlessly connected to real-time 3D. And so that would mean Unity or even Unreal. We want those tools to be much more intimate so they don't have to tap their developer on the shoulder. It's a seamless, simple experience. And what we're really trying to do is take incredibly powerful content creation and make it simpler. So we want to stitch these things together. So, you know, my expectation is part of what you get out of this is you're going to get what a quality visuals in video games. We haven't seen that before, but their, their renderer, for example, is the, the world's best renderer, and you can get to that. But you're also going to start to see, in my opinion, films being presented in a different way. But it's possible now to produce a, a movie in real-time 3D, and instead of watching the film from your couch through a screen, you could say, I am that character, and consume the entire, the same film in the same way embodying that individual character, seeing the world from their perspective, or go from character to character, or consume the scenes in a different order, it might yield a different set of conclusions or more engagement from, from, from users. So my expectation is a lot of these things are, I'm not saying that that's the way movies are going to be, I'm saying that's the way movies can be, and games can get a little bit closer to looking that way, and I think we're going to see metaverse destinations that do a combination of both. And those are some of the, the, the opportunities that open themselves up with these new technologies. And, I mean, they're happening and people are exploring it right now. John, thank you for your time. That was a very insightful talk. I love your comments and appreciate you sitting down with me today. All right. Thanks a lot. Hi, Jerry. Good to see you. Oh, good to see you again. And this is part of our running uh, podcast series, This Week at XR, with Charlie Fink and myself, Ted Schultz, sponsored by Gibala, uh, who's been a great sponsor in covering all of this for us and helping us get these things out week over week. So we do every Friday, as you know, we uh -huh. guests on our podcast. I think the last one was virtual, right? Uh, they've been virtual, yes. This is now in person. I am so glad we can like meet face-to-face -face -face without having to do Zoom calls. Yes, we are uh, all together in the real at the Augmented uh, World Expo in Santa Clara at the, uh, in June of 2022. And you have a very interesting company with very interesting things that I and Charlie, my partner in crime, uh, have been tracking uh, for quite some time and have high interest in. So why don't you just, uh, for our listeners and our viewers watching, give us an overview of what Tilt 5 is, what it does, and what you're excited about. Well, this is Till 5. This is our system. It's augmented reality glasses that are super lightweight that you can just slip on really fast. And our focus is on tabletop entertainment. So things within arm's reach, experiences that you can bring your entire family or your colleagues around and experience. So 
Uh, we've optimized the design so that it works um, really well within those constraints. And so what I'm really excited about is we've been working with dozens and dozens of third-party developers bringing games and applications onto our system. And the things that are really fun that I like are there's a bunch of action games that we have that are co-op, so you can sit across the table or have your friends around um, and you play these action games. Really heightens the video game experience when you can like look eye to eye, like when you know your friend uh, annihilates you or something, or you look at their body language and you can kind of figure out what they're doing. Um, there's a bunch of other exciting things that are um, in the works as well. There's a bunch of puzzle games. We have Tabletopia. This is our Tabletopia week. Um, we're uh, announcing up to 150 games on the Tabletopia platform. So. Uh, this platform's cool because it's all your favorite, like, European-style games on there, all the way down to, like, simple things like poker and checkers. But it's cross-platform. So if you don't have a Till 5 yet, you can still play with your friends remotely uh, that have a PC, or they can sit around the table with you with their iPad. So the last time we talked, you were in development on the project. It's kind of the getting ready for productization. That was a while ago, wasn't it? Now, tell us where you are today. It's commercial, you're shipping it, you're shipping it to end users, to customers at this point, and maybe talk about retail price and where you get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're in full mass production now, and we're shipping tons of units. It's super exciting. So we're hearing all the feedback from our customers, telling us about what they're super excited about, and... Um, um, that's exciting. It's been super challenging, though, because COVID, not being able to go to the factories in China, we still can't go to the factory in China. Remotely, but we had to make a bunch of robotic fixtures and send it to China to build these things. Yeah, yeah, because we couldn't be there physically to make sure every screw and lens and everything was installed correctly. But yeah, um, retail price is three fifty nine. You can go to our website. Um, we're going to be caught up on orders by the end of the summer, although our backlog is getting like deeper and deeper each week. The sales are spiking pretty uh, quickly. So but the we have a. We get it now is on the Till 5 website. Correct. And correct. eventually you'll get it on other mass retailers, Amazon, and other places, but not yet. Yeah, we tried to design the system so it has mass appeal. Like, I'm really excited about working on products that can be like deployed to, say, 100 million homes. And so. We try to optimize it for that kind of experience. So, so that means, obviously, Amazon and all these yeah. other places. So we ordered one today with your with back orders. How long, roughly, to get one? Towards the end of summer. I think we're okay. sitting so around September is uh, where we'll be caught up. But, of course, it keeps yeah, getting fine. deeper. Yeah. So if you order one now, you're a few months out. Yeah. We have a $5, like, you know, get your name on the waiting list um, program right now. And how big is the company? I think we're sitting at 25 people right now. It's insane what we can do with such a small... Where are you based out of? Here in Fremont, in Silicon Valley. Yeah. So you got a lot of interest probably from the Silicon Valley heart of things, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Investors are uh, knocking on our door. And, uh, it helps scale the company. That's the... That's the exciting transition for us. Like we've been in the R and D phase, you know, big D. Now we're in productization of it. So, right, you know, it's like marketing efforts are kicking off, content deals. We license some content ourselves. So we just announced a deal with Asmodee Digital. So there's a bunch of titles that we're going to manage the development on. So it's like a great experience and. 
something I've been waiting for for years and years. Um, tell us a little bit about how the technology works with the wand and the glasses. And yeah. Why is it, you know, I mean, most people see AR glasses and people in our industry expect these things to cost thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. But you're in the hundreds of dollars, so maybe explain what the difference is uh, from something we'd see from, say, Magic Leap or Qualcomm versus what you're doing. Yeah, so there's some trade-offs that we made. So by constraining the problem to tabletop experiences, we could choose some different components to put in it. We could also change the optical path. So instead of trying to put the light directly into your eyes, which, you know, say a Magic Leap or a Holland, you might have $1,000 worth of just lenses to put the light in front of your eyes. With our system, we have a special board that has this retro-reflective optical property. You actually project out to the game board back to the user, which gives us this free space which we can do a bunch of really nifty tricks to make our experience really good one of those is generating a light field which is the holy grail for augmented reality which virgins accommodation so like if you focus on a virtual object here things in the background go out of focus and it gives a real presence to the objects on the table and as you focus back and forth they feel like they're really there only can be achieved because we have this long optical path and then my background's in toy design so you know they're very price sensitive so this is closer to a toy than a rolls royce right yeah. i mean it's still 350 dollars so it's yeah, not yeah. For everybody but it's starting to get to a point where as a as a big holiday gift as a big birthday gift yeah. that's really into this can sort of justify that kind of cost. especially if you've got eventually hundreds of games you can play on right exactly and you know some of the things that we did is we worked really hard on using like plastic components like the lenses are plastic you know it's um, that wasn't easy. Like just making these lenses so they're super high quality was like a big task, but it also makes the cost a lot lower and, and our ability to assemble them a lot lower. And so, you know, we can be gross margin positive on a, a device that's as cheap as like a Nintendo Switch. Yeah, right. Um, I remember the very, very first times I've seen this technology in action in earlier iterations. They were actually using a, like a great cloth. Oh, yeah. Do you still use that stuff as well? So we, the, our game well? board, it's all laminated. Um, so you just flip open the game board, launch your game, you plug it into your PC or your Android phone, slip on the glasses, and like 30 seconds you're into your game. Uh, we have iOS support coming once we do some adapters. So it's not totally standalone. You need a, a yeah. Android phone. Or a PC. PC. We can run multiple headsets off of one PC. We'll be releasing the driver shortly that let you plug up to four glasses into a PC. The way we can get away with that, you know, normally you have to, like, you do VR and you're running off a PC, you have to have a pretty beefy PC. We actually moved a lot of the image stabilization and the tracking up into the headset. So there's a processor that takes whatever frame rate comes from the computer and upscales it to 180 frames a second. So it's always buttery smooth and locked to the table. So you could run it on a, on a laptop? Yeah. A and phones. Or a la like, a, like how far down scale would you go? Um, I have something that just has Intel graphics on it for my, like, daily... So just a, a sub $1,000. Oh, yeah. Easy, easy. Uh, it's like probably a $450 PC. Okay, that's good enough. You know, I won't be doing, uh, you know, a Diablo-style right. game with like billions of particles, but right. it's fine for, you know, many of the applications. And tell us some of the games that you're really excited about. So when people want to order this, they're like, oh, I want to play that. Yeah, the one that I'm addicted to right now is um, called Battle Planet. It's a shoot 'em up that's on a sphere. As the you run around the sphere, it rotates, and your players like shooting all the bad guys. There's different objectives on each of the levels. Like one level, you have to like defuse bombs. Another one, 
you have to like clear the the planet but it's co-op too so that's really exciting um, I'm excited about um, Figment XR uh, for different reasons. It's less of a adrenaline thrill type experience. This is more of a zen-like um, sandbox. And I'm excited about this one because you can just get together with your friends. You might have grandma come over and they can draw hearts in like virtual touch, low impact kind of. Yeah, and it's, it's multiplayer and it's all group um, kind of just fun play. Plus, you can bring in like import game objects from like Sketchfab and apply game logic to it and do kind of no code gaming in it. So it's very relaxing. We have a bunch of puzzle games which are super fun, like Floating Farmer. Those are really like depending on your mood. Um, and then board games, obviously, is you know, sometimes people think we're a board game replacement, but it's. Well, it's a hybrid board plus technology, right? So interesting. Yeah, what we're trying to do is solve like one of the fundamental problems for video games in the living room is, you know, in for instance, in my living room, I've got two televisions, two Xboxes, two Playstations, two Switches, and it only lets me bring one friend over you to play. You can't collaborate that well, right? especially in person. Right? Yeah, and you're sitting on the couch facing forward, mm -hmm. and the body language is lost. Right. And that yeah, collaborative the fun. That's why we play board games, because we want that social interaction. So it's this really cool hybrid where you can take that action game or a strategy game and bring it, and now it's to the table, and now you're in the round having this kind of communal type experience where there's all these um, kind of sub-layers on top that um, enhance the game. So if people want to order the game, if they want to find you, if developers want to get in touch with you to build oh. games on your platform, tell us as we wrap up uh, how they get in touch with you, how they get in touch with your company, how they order stuff, all that. So www.tilt5.com, um, all spelled out. You go there, we have a developer portal. And so you can get the SDK, it's free. Every time you get a headset, you can just start developing on Unity and Unreal. Um, we have a native SDK as well if you have a custom application. Some of our enterprise customers like using, they have their own standalone stuff. And if you have a game that kind of fits um, our thesis of what we're looking for, we do have a program where we can provide some assistance for engineering and, and money to, uh, to port the game over to our system. Right now we're super focused on games because it's kind of our sharp spear into the market, but um, universities have been getting these and sticking them in their labs and using them in their their classes. So there's a lot of things you can do with it. Congrats on your success. I know, it feels so good. And way to go to get through the, the trudges of development. It's a big deal. And surviving the COVID. Just survive the business process of getting a product to market. So yeah. good on you. And, uh, Thanks for our listeners and watchers. Uh, this is uh, yet another uh, reporting from AWE podcast. I'm Ted Schoenwitz for This Week in XR with my partner in crime. We'll be back for other interviews. Charlie Fink, thanks for watching and listening. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Ted Schoenwitz, part of the This Week in XR podcast with my good friend Charlie Fink. And talking to a lot of our friends in the XR community. And Jason Yim is someone who I'm good friends with, known for a long time, worked on projects together in the early days of of augmented reality and mixed reality, and you continue to work at an amazing company called Trigger. So we're going to spend 10 minutes or so talking about your personal aspirations, what you're doing at Trigger, uh, which is a company that really focuses on all types of deliverables for this world of mixed reality, uh, initially on smartphones, but now you're doing yep. lots of other things. Um, so let's start with who you are, 
where you come from, a little ba- little sure. family background and life background, and then we'll dive into some of your works. Sure. Uh, and crazy that this is like the second time we've seen each other in person. In yeah, one, years, yeah. Yeah. yeah, two in a row. So uh, good to see you again. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, so I'm Jason Yim. Uh, CEO of Trigger, started Trigger in 2005 uh, with uh, uh, some founders joined from a previous agency. The name comes from, I should have pulled the trigger a long time ago. Um, uh, we were an early AR doctor, so we're the most experienced XR developer in the world. 250,000 plus hours, uh, 200 plus deployed projects. Um, we focus on entertainment, so AR for Star Wars, for Spider-Man, you know, Batman, so on and so forth, for uh, sports, uh, we just did the Super Bowl, NHL, PJ, you know, uh, lots of the leagues, NBA, uh, and then on the commerce side, we work with Lego, so over 10 plus years, um, Walmart now, it's a lot of retailers and stuff too. Um, so, so what's it like working with big brands and big IP? It presents its own interesting challenges and opportunities, right? Very different than just working with original IP. Like yeah. Dealing with brand managers and all of the restrictions and all of the, the care that a, that a very big, well-known brand needs to deal with when they're trying to get something into a new medium, which yeah. in and of itself creates technical challenges, right? So you have to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. On, on, on the entertainment side, it's like really interesting because it's like a... You know, I don't. I don't think we. There are bigger IPs than the ones that we work with. Like you can't get bigger than a Star Wars or a Spidey or something. But it's amazing how the filmmakers are still involved all the way through. Like it's not like other industries where it's like kind of passed down to some subordinate or the marketing department takes care of it. Like we take these massive 3D models straight from ILM or whoever. We decimate it, reanimate it, retexture it, and all that sort of stuff. And it has to go all the way back up through filmmaker approval. Every single time, right. you know, so it's like a, it's uh, it's admirable to, to keep at that quality bar. You know, the, the only other place we've kind of seen it at that level is probably Lego. You know, everything is like, yeah. Well, their brand is so important that it's everything, right? Yeah. If their brand gets distilled or goes problematic in some way because of an application that someone didn't approve the right things for, right. then you've got big challenges. Yeah. Makes um, in terms of the, the core technology that you're using, because a lot of our listeners and viewers here are pretty technical. They're developers themselves. Right. They'd love to know how you is effectively like one of the most extensive yeah. companies. What types of tools do you use to build on How do you sort of work through all that? Yeah, so we, we started our first AR project was in 2009. It was webcam-based AR. So we printed out a glyph. It was for District 9 for Sony. Yep. And you held it up in front of a webcam. It was so, like, frictiony, gimmicky. Okay, cool. Um, uh, and then we moved on to Bufloria mm-hmm. when they're still in R&D. So we were their showcase developer at a Qualcomm. Um, so a lot of the first on mobile AR um, we got to play with that technology. And then when it shifted to um, social AR, um, we were the first agency outside of Snap to create a Snap Lens. We were their internal guinea pig. Um, and then with Web AR, we were the first to commercialize with, with 8th Ball, uh, also with a Sony uh, project, so uh, with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. So. And then now, the, 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 you know, of course, like uh, Niantic uh, on the app side, um, with Lightship, that's that's been a big partnership of ours, and then uh, the latest one is uh, uh, being part of uh, Buf- sorry Qualcomm Snapdragon right, Spaces. Their spaces that yeah, sort of so evolution of Euphoria to, yeah. to now something much more robust. And, yeah. yeah, we just had Brian oh, and Qualcomm great. on talking about Spaces. Cool, and so for us, like we w- we want to take our, you know, uh, we built up 
all, a lot of early experience on, on the mobile side before other people were jumping in, we want to do the same thing on HMD. So most of your work to date has been on smartphones. Yes, mostly smartphones. Has there been any standout projects yet that you want to call out that have now evolved past the smartphone and actually on the wearable side? Uh, I mean, we've, we've, we've done a lot of uh, wearables, but it's always been like CES prototypes. Uh, it hasn't been fully commercialized, you know. I think the stuff that we're working on now using spaces, like the big difference for us has been, I remember in the past we were working on a Fox project. It was, it was, it was taking the technology and then kind of doing something, um, you know, eye candy wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't there wasn't a lot of utility. But I think like the this next round, this next push, just because the technology's kind of matured, the audience has matured, like the the push is really for long utility, like something that people can use on a day to day basis. It's not just a, a throwaway, you know, flash in the pan sort of thing. So I think the stuff that you'll see coming up is a lot more yeah, impressive and engaging. And out of the wearable platforms, Magic Leap, what's going on with Lenovo, Qualcomm, HoloLens, pros, cons, any of your insights on, because you're doing so much work yeah. with this stuff, what do you find as your most changing platform? Something that you say is a real standout. Right. I mean, like, I, I think it's going to depend on if you're facing, if you're doing consumer facing or, or enterprise, you know. So, uh, I think on the enterprise side, like, we, uh, we don't have experience with the new Magic Leap yet. But I think definitely like what Lenovo is doing with the A3 and then also, uh, you know, um, uh, HoloLens too, you know, like they are, they're definitely pushing that limit there on, on, on the enterprise side. We work with Unreal on the consumer side. So it's interesting that like once you get to consumer, just things like design and form factor, like that's a big, yeah, means a lot more than on the, on the enterprise side. Have you seen an interesting uptick on the Unreal glasses? Because they're really the first kind of commercially available you can go buy them in a rising store. Yeah. Are you, are you starting to see that starting to take shape? Are you finding something really interesting there? Uh, I still think it's a ways away. It's, I think they, like everyone, they, there needs to be content, you know? So I think, um, I think this was an issue with, with some tech partners before where they're so focused on the, the hardware and then you build this hardware and then there's not nothing. Not, not yeah. yeah. But now we're seeing, we have a lot of kind of a recent, uh, our past couple of years, big strategic partnerships where there's a lot of funding coming from the technology hardware side because they know you need content. You need you need everything else, uh, not only the, the technology underlying. What are you most excited about in the next year or two? What gets you sort of up in the morning after doing hundreds of thousands of hours yeah. of reality work? I mean, two things. I mean, like, uh, you know, I feel like there's so much, uh, like, we seem to be on the cusp of that transformation, right? Like, we've been in this for so long. Yeah. And, and we know we've been learning everything through mobile, but it's starting to apply to HMD. Like, talking to the, the Qualcomm's of the world that are responsible for the chipset, we know when the inflection point could possibly happen. So it's building up towards there. But I think once that flip happens, it's like, I think our realization is just like all this work in digital transformation that people have done for all these companies is now going to go through this XR funnel and it's going to be a new experience but all the billions that have been invested there have to go through this new form and hopefully we'll be a, a leader in that space. 
So as we wrap up, tell us a little bit about Trigger, where it's located, I know, but I want you to tell people how they find you, um, where they can see some of your projects. And you mentioned, you know, that you've done Star Wars and Spider-Man, but they maybe want to know specifically how they find those applications that you've done. Give us a little, sure. a little so, Trigger promo. Yeah, so we're, uh, we're headquartered in uh, Los Angeles in West L.A., uh, right by some really great Japanese food. Yeah, so yeah. Times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come visit. Um, uh, you can find us on the web, uh, www.triggerxr.com. So that's the easiest place to find uh, everything that we do. Um, or else, you know, LinkedIn, TriggerXR, uh, you'll find us there. And how they find some of the amazing work that Oh, um, probably linking out from our site, but I mean, you'll... So be, if, if you go yeah. to the site, you can see yeah. Star Wars stuff. Spider-Man stuff, some of the more historical stuff. Yes. I remember yeah. we did some really interesting things around Hunger Games. Yeah, um, back in the day, yeah. We, we did uh, face games. lenses before Snap yeah. on yeah. Hunger Games, yeah. yeah. So you're really like, a pioneer <laughs> on this stuff. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably what people learned a lot from you is what Trigger does three years ago is what everybody is doing today. Right? Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah. So you're probably out in the next three years right now. And I think like uh, yeah. the other thing is like we've been, you know, uh, we just did the Niantic launch for Coachella. We just did uh, Verizon Super Bowl. Um, so, so uh, a lot of big eventy stuff. You'll probably find our stuff tell out us, there. Wrap up, tell us a little bit about the Coachella project because that was really interesting, very ambitious. Yeah. So the interesting thing was like we started a couple years back, actually pre-pandemic. So we were already doing the AR features for the Coachella that got canceled, right. and then, and then of course it got canceled because of the pandemic, and then. Uh, Later on, when Niantic was involved with their new ARDK, it was taking the best of the uh, original plans that we had created and then the, the new capabilities that uh, Niantic would bring and allow uh, for us to use. That's what we launched at the, at the latest Coachella. So there were things where um, they have a big tower in the, in the middle. Um, and we were using their kind of latest uh, kind of semantic segmentation and stuff like that. So we could we could see where the sky was and then we could figure out what was by GPS. We knew you were close to the tower and then and then we could compute a vision, figure out what was inter, intercutting the tower in so kind of the sky. Exactly yeah. And then, yeah. And place it on top of that tower. So using some kind of tricky stuff to try to identify those things, but um, without uh, ARDK's core tech, we wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And this was defined as an application for people at the event. They would take their phone out, hold it up. We yeah. Saw a lot of people doing it, so yeah. And the, and the great thing is, like, it wasn't a, you know a partnership with the Coachella team, so it was uh, embedded inside the Coachella app. Right. It wasn't like some separate thing that you had to download just for that experience. Could people offsite use it in various ways too? It's only for people at the event. Uh, only at the event. At the event. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, still hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. But not millions. Of people. Yeah. And then. Super Bowl is the opposite, right? right. Like Everybody. No one could get in there, but, you know, unless you had a Super Bowl ticket, but now with AR, you could jump in, be on stage with Snoop Dogg and see the performance. And that was so. a partnership with Verizon, right? So that was Verizon and Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. Pepsi. Yeah. And that was interesting because it was amazing the low latency because I had a really good 5G connection. Ah, uh, cool. Just seeing how real time it was. Like yeah. It was half a second. Like, like it was yeah. amazing how... how felt live it was right. tied to the broadcast. So, and like, really yeah, all kudos to the Verizon team just to just to set up the server infrastructure to, right, you know, yeah, yeah, amazing. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, so no worries. This is uh, This Week in XR's uh, podcast from AWE. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. Yep. Thanks, Ted.